Uh, the truth is that we do need God. <laughs> and we can't do this without God. We can't do anything unless he helps us and we need him so much. And as we start today, we're, gonna, we're going to continue actually looking at uh, the story of David. And uh, we're, our title today is about a heart checkup. You see, David was a man after God's heart. And one of the reasons that David was a, a man after God's heart was because he had regular heart checkups. You know, it's good to have a heart checkup in the natural, isn't it? That's a good and wise thing to do every so often to have your heart checked. But spiritually, it is so important that we have our hearts checked. And, and just a couple of scriptures that show us how David did his heart check. Let's just look in Psalm 19, verse 12. This is in the New Living Translation. Here's what David said. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David was a man who checked his heart constantly and asked God to check it out. And he knew the importance of what was in his heart. You know, what's in your heart will often come out in your words. And he wanted God to check everything about him. And he wanted God to search his heart. There's another instance in Psalm 119 where David did the same thing. And here's what he said there. Search me, O oh God. And know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Put out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. David was a man who regularly asked God to check his heart. But Saul wasn't a man like that. Saul wasn't a man who was after God's heart, because David... When he made mistakes, he confessed those mistakes to God and he wanted to get forgiveness and he sought God and got forgiveness. But Saul was not a man like that because when Saul made mistakes, and you can read up the couple of references there I've given you in 1 Samuel 15, that whole chapter, and 1 Samuel 18, 7 to 12, you see how he denied doing wrong. He tried to cover up his sin and he, he actually blamed other people for his own sin. And Saul was a man who not only did he try to hide his sin, but he, his, his pride and his jealousy led him to anger issues and bitterness and depression. And all of that led to bad decisions. And you see, if we turn away from God and we turn to something else instead of God, then we're going to go on the wrong path and we're going to end up with a... a, a a heart that is not in tune with God and a heart that eventually will lead into a place where we are, Saul was extremely depressed and, and this led to, to jealousy and, and actually violence towards David and we've been looking at that story after, over this last while. So we're, our message today, and I believe God's put in my heart to do it this particular way, we're going to look at it in two parts. We're going to look at David's heart and the story so far, and then we're going to look at Saul's heart 
and we're going to we're going to see what God did in both of these lives. So you'll know that over the last while we've been looking at David, we saw in First Samuel 30, and I'm not going to go over it all, but basically you remember we saw that that David had made the mistake of leading his men away out of um, away from God's people, away out of Jerusalem, away down to the, where the Philistines lived, and he had lived in a place called Ziglag for 16 months. Whilst they were there, if you remember, uh, Saul or uh, David and his men had lived a double life. They had pretended that they were fighting the Philistines, um, and uh, sorry, they pretended that they were fighting the, the Israelites, and all the time they were fighting the Philistines. They had pretended to be willing to fight for the Philistines, to be loyal to the Philistines. And you remember we saw over the last few weeks that it came to the head when an Amalekite uh, raider, a, a sort of tribe of these Amalekites who were very vicious, violent people, were, uh, uh, some of them had come and they had raided the town of Ziglag, and you all know the story by now, where when David and his men returned, they found that these Amalekites had not only burned their town to the ground, but the Amalekites had taken all the wives and children out of uh, Ziglag and had taken them captive. And we saw last week that, uh, that David, uh, at that point of desperate need, because his men were so angry that they'd lost their wives and children, that they were getting ready to stone David. And at his at his point of need, we've seen over the last couple of weeks that he turned to God. See, that's one of the, that's one of the things about David. In times of trouble, he knew the right thing to do. He knew he should turn to God. And at this particular point, that's what he did. He was in a time of, it was a moment of distress and danger. And he turned to God. Remember last week we looked at how he had called the priest to come to him and bring the ephod. And last week we looked at this ephod thing and we haven't time to go over it all over again. But you'll remember it was a garment that was draped over the head of the high priest. And if you remember, there was a, a breastplate attached to it. And on the breastplate were 12 jewels, which were one for each of the tribes of Israel. And we saw the names of the tribes were engraved on each of these jewels. And we saw that, that inside the breastplate, there was a pouch, a little hidden secret pocket where the Urim and Thummim were kept. And we looked at what the Urim and Thummim were. I'm going to look in a moment again about that. It was a means that God used to guide his people. And, and as well as that, this breastplate with the Urim and Thummim were attached to the shoulders with an onyx stone on each shoulder, names of the tribes on the shoulders. And we really saw last week it was an amazing visual aid, if you like, an amazing picture of Christ and his love for us as our great high priest who carries us on his heart who has means of guiding us on his heart and who carries us on his shoulders, that our names are written on his heart, that he has actually inscribed us on his hands. He can't forget you. He's your great high priest, the one that you can turn to in time of need. And we saw that the Urim and Thummim were these, probably these two stones. It's interesting, after last week, uh, Joy just happened to mention that she had read something about the Urim and Thummim. And I just thought it might be good to mention this because uh, whilst there's a kind of a mystery about this little hidden pouch in the breastplate, uh, but we reckon that the Urim and Thummim were probably two jewels. Urim means lights and Thummim means perfections. 
And we're not quite sure how the high priest, some people think they kind of threw them out like, like two dices and that in some way he was able to give an answer to the children of Israel when they were needing a, an important decision to be made so that they would know what God was saying. But here's what it says here. Uh, I think it was quite interesting that Joy found this. When someone had to make an important decision, the request was made known to the high priest and he would stand before the lampstand holding the Urim in one hand and the Thummim in the other. As the light reflected from the Urim and Thummim onto the stones of the breastplate, this flash of light provided up to 24 combinations. Remember, 12 stones on, on his heart. And, and up to 24 combinations. Since there are 20, And since there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, the flashes of light could produce strings of letters. As God breathed through the ark, the veil would move, permitting a breeze to flicker the flames in the lampstand to momentarily alter the angle of direction of the lights onto the Urim and Thummim and thence to the breastplate. Thus God was able to communicate directly but not audibly to the high priest to answer the inquiry. We just thought that was an interesting thing. We're not sure if that's exactly how it happened. We don't really know. But we do know this, that the high priest was able to use this Urim and Thummim in some way to give an answer in a time where a decision needed to be made in a time of distress, in a, in a moment where somebody needed to know, God, what are you saying for me to do? And how often in our lives do we, are we in that moment? How often are we needing God to show us what's the right thing to do here, God? What do we do? How often do we need direction from God in our lives? And David knew, he, need, he knew who to go to. He knew he needed the priest to come. And you see, we have this great high priest. In those olden times, the high priest was a figure that was dressed in all of the robes that God had said they were to dress him in. Everything had a meaning. Everything was a visually a picture of, the, of Jesus who would eventually come and be our great high priest. A, a visually, there's so much teaching. If you were to go through and, and read up on all the stuff that happened in the Old Testament and all the dress of the of the. Of the um, of the high priest and, and all of the laws that were given and the, the sacrifices that were made, you would see that, that God was trying to show us before Jesus would come what Jesus one day would do. This week I had a, just a, a couple of days where I just felt a bit out of sorts. Do you ever feel like that? A bit out of sorts, a bit irritated, a bit, God, I am just not feeling in a great place. And you know, whenever I feel like that, I have learned to cry out to God, just like David did. I have learned to say, God, I need you to touch me. I need you to come and speak to me. And, and I've discovered that when I go to his word, you see, his word is a lamp onto my path. The Old Testament believers didn't have all of the word of God. They had the law, but they didn't have what you and I have in our hands. And so... One of the names for Jesus is he is called the Word. And so when I go to the Word of God, so often his Word just shines light into my heart. And I have discovered so often, whenever I'm feeling out of sorts, it's to do with something that's not right in my heart. And you see, our emotions are, our emotions are kind of a trigger to alert us that things are not right sometimes because we do feel a distance from God when things are not right. And so God uses our emotions often. Now sometimes we teach don't listen to your emotions, just keep, and that's true in one sense, where we speak out God's word and God's truth and we stand on it. And sometimes the enemy will tell us lies and get our emotions all churned up. 
But very often our emotions, God uses them to actually point us things are not right between you and me and we need to get it sorted. And I discovered this week that there were some things in my heart that weren't actually very nice and I didn't like them. Began to see in my heart a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of just out of sorts with God, a little bit of pride, stuff that's not nice that God hates. And you see, when we become jealous or when we become proud in any way, believe you me, that begins to steal our joy. And so often we need to have a heart check and say, God, search me and see if there's anything in my heart that's not right because I want to get it right. And you know the amazing thing? That Jesus died and shed his blood that we can have it right immediately. I mean, that's amazing. The morning, that, particularly on Monday morning, when I would just cry out to the Lord, Lord, set things right in here because I'm all over the place. Set things right in my heart. You know, in a moment as I read his word, it just, the Lord began to minister to me. And it was actually, my readings this past while have been about the high priest and how he brought all these offerings. And I was reading in the book of Leviticus about these offerings that God brought and how when he brought an animal, he had, it, all of the animal had to be burnt on the altar. And how the insides, even the insides of the animal were important, that they were treated in the right way because everything was burnt. And it reminded me that Jesus came and that he gave a full sacrifice and even his insides were pure and he was the perfect sacrifice inside and out. And, and, and one of the things it said was in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, that God wanted people to be made right with God. And these sacrifices were a temporary way, pointing to Jesus who one day would shed his own blood, that you and I could have ongoing cleansing and ongoing fellowship with our great high priest who's in heaven at the moment, who is right sitting there right now and who knows everything that's going on in your heart and is interceding to his father, keeping everything right. And he's just saying, come, what does it say in, in Hebrews 4? Come boldly to the throne of grace and find the help that you need in time of time of need come to your high priest and that's what jesus is saying to all of us today don't let the enemy get you onto a downer come and get it sorted speak the truth get it out there and that's what david did david confessed his sin saul didn't saul hid his sin and so we saw last week how this the fact that david called for the urim and thummim to be brought was such an important thing because really he was saying to everybody i'm turning to god i know i'm in trouble here and i know i need to turn to god you know i just felt it was really important that we know that we can turn to one who treats us like his own special treasure you are his own special treasure. Malachi 3 verse 17 says that God sees us as his own special treasure. He says, I will make them my jewels. You're a jewel and more than that, you're a jewel who is actually sitting on God's heart. That is what he feels towards you. And the directions and the, the plan that he has for your life is on his heart. The Urim and Thumb had to be on the heart of the high priest. He had to carry the he had to carry the Urim and Thummim on the breastplate so that it would be over the high priest's heart whenever he would enter into the priest the presence of the Lord. You see, God knows our heart. 
and God knows when we cry out to him. David was always crying out to God to guide him in every kind of circumstance of life. I've given you a whole list in your notes. Maybe just let's look at a couple of them. Psalm 25, let's just look and be at that one. Psalm 25, um, verses 4 to 5. Let me just read a few of these out. Here's what David said. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you're the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Let's just look at Psalm, um, at Psalm 5 verse 8. Lead me in the right path, O Lord. Or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. Psalm 43, David cried out, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. How often he cried out to God to lead him. Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path for my enemies are waiting for me. David knew that the enemy was against him and you need to know that you have an enemy who is against you. Satan does not want you to know the right direction for your life. He wants you to make wrong choices. He wants you to go off on tangents. He doesn't want you to follow God and to know the direction of God in your life. Psalm 61, 1-2. Let me just see if I can find this very quickly. Psalm 61, 1-2. Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the towering rock of safety. For you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. So David knew, and there's lots of other um, places there as well, those references. If you can look up yourself, read up those verses and remember that you can ask God for guidance, that you can ask him to lead you at whatever you're going through in your own life. David knew there was no help to be found anywhere else but with God. Psalm 50 and 15 says, Call on me when you're in trouble and I will rescue you. I just feel I really should read the first few verses in Psalm 86 because this is one of the ones that really blessed me this week. Here's what David cried. Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you, and you're my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. O God, you're so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call on you whenever I'm in trouble and you will answer me. We need to know we have a God who wants to answer us, a God who wants to communicate with us. Psalm 31 says, Turn your ear, listen to me, O Lord. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. God, Listen, girls, God is on the move. He is listening to you. His ear is open to you. And we've been saying that in the prayer room earlier this morning. We've been reminding ourselves that God answers prayers and that God wants us to cry out to him in time of need. And so when David cried out to him, God answered. And we saw last week that God gave him two words. He said, pursue, pursue, and you'll recover all. 
God was sending David after this, these Amalekites. He was saying, David, you go after these Amalekites who have stolen all the wives and the children from the camp. And David and his men pursued. And we're going to just pick up the story now in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And we're going to see briefly, although we've already talked a little bit about it, we're going to see that, that uh, last week we said when they got a certain distance, they came to a brook. And there was 200 of David's men who were too weary, too exhausted to cross over that brook. So David left them behind with the supplies and he and 400 men went after the Amalekites. Now we're going to pick up just from uh, verse, let's just see, from down to verse 8 I think it is. Uh, we'll just maybe recap the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken for you. Then verse 9 uh, tells us about the men, the, the, the 400 who continued with David, leaving 200 men behind them. And verse 11, let's pick up on verse 11. Along the way, it says, they found an Egyptian man in the field and brought him to David. It says in some of your translations, they found an Egyptian slave in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink, and they also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. David asked him, to whom do you belong and where did you come from? And he said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an, Am of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding, and he's just, he's just confessing that he was in the raiding party of, uh, of, of Ziglag. And verse 15, he said to David, David said, Will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. And the young man replied, If you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you there. And I wanted just to talk a little bit about this slave. Because you've got to see these men, 400 men and David. And they're, they're after these Amalekites. And they find this, this Egyptian slave. And the normal thing would have been just to kill him. But instead of that, they showed mercy and they brought him to David. And when they brought this slave to David, David listened to him, had compassion on him. And David agreed not to harm him if he would bring them all to the enemy's camp, which this slave agreed to do. Now here's the thing, as I was reading this, I was just thinking, what a little mini picture of you and me. Because do you know something? This slave had a master who abandoned him whenever he was sick and no further use to him. And you know what, before we got saved, before we came to know Jesus as our saviour, we were under the authority of the enemy. He was the master. It's, the, it's Satan who, who's in charge of this world. He's the one who, who ruins lives. He's the one who tries to hurt and bring pain into our lives. And before we know Christ, we're under his authority. But once we know Christ, we're under a new, under a new authority. We're, we'll come out of one kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And just as this slave was shown mercy, when he was brought to David, David had compassion on him. And, and this slave was given a part now of David's. He became part of David's team, part of David's men. That's exactly what happens when we come and confess our sin to the greater son of David, Jesus Christ himself. Because he's in the business of setting slaves free. And you know what? We can be slaves to sin. And we can suffer under the hand of the enemy. And you know what? He wants to bring us into addiction. He wants to bring us into all kinds of twisted problems. He wants to ruin our lives. But you know, when we trust Jesus as our saviour, we come into a new kingdom under a new king. And he wants to give us victory. 
and he wants to get rid and break off the chains of addiction and he wants to set us free to live the kind of lives that he actually created us to live. And so this has happened. A little mini picture, if you like, this little slave he's brought into a new camp. And now he's with David and he's going with David. And you know what? At the very end we'll probably see that he was going to get part of the reward of what David was going to do. And that's the thing about us. We've been brought into the family of God. What an amazing picture. David was going to pursue and he was going to fight the enemy and he was going to overtake and get everything back. He was going to restore everything that had been lost and that's what Jesus did when he came to the cross. He went right into the enemy's camp and he destroyed him. And you know what? By the price of the blood of Jesus, he's bought back everything that we have lost. And God wants to restore to you. Are there things in your life that the enemy has stolen? What has he stolen from you? God wants to restore to you. This is the word we had in the prayer room this morning. The word restoration. And we saw last week that God always gives back more. Restoration, biblical restoration means you get more than what you lost. And God wants to restore our lives. And so on the way, God was going to give this slave an opportunity for change. And that's always God's, God's heart. And David was showing God's heart before his man. He was, he was showing God's heart whenever he had time for the slave and brought the slave into the camp. God always wants to show mercy and give opportunity for, for change. You know what? In our hearts, we should always have a heart that loves other people. And we should always see that our hearts need to be the same as God's heart. We should love those who are weak and weary. We should love those who get it wrong over and over and over again. We should show God's heart of love and patience and goodness to give more and more opportunities. Time after time after time, he never stops giving us opportunities. He continually says, come on to me. And he'll pick us up even if we fall seven times, it says in the Proverbs. And far more than that. What did he say to Peter? You forgive seven times seventy. Who's going to start counting that? God's not a God who says, you've, you've, you've stepped over the line now. No chance for you. No, he's a, he's a God of tender heart. God of the opportunity. God who will pick us up. And I believe that David showed something of the heart of God when he had time for the slave. And as a result, the slave brought him right into the enemy camp. Can you imagine what it was like? Just imagine in the Amalekite camp, just imagine Abigail. We've got to know Abigail quite well, haven't we, over the last few weeks. She was one of David's wives. Just imagine Abigail and all the other wives of, of David's men. Imagine their children. Imagine the feeling that they had whenever they heard this roar and they wondered what is that and they realized it was David and his 400 men crashing into the camp starting to fight to rescue them imagine what they felt like imagine how how they felt worthy that they were worth fighting for you know God counts you so worthy he sent his son to die for you to rescue you to go into the camp of the enemy and take you out of it and when you ask Jesus to be your savior listen you change hands. The enemy's no more legal right over you once you ask him to be your saviour and to come into your heart. You belong to Christ. You are blood-bought. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The enemy's no right to put his hand on you. He has no right to steal from you anymore. You have been given authority by the King of Kings who reigns over everything. 
and he loves you and has proved that he loved you and he died to restore. You know, one of the Psalms, Psalm 69, I think it is, says that God, Jesus came to restore what he did not take away. The enemy took away our freedom. He took away all that God had originally planned for mankind. He stole it through the lie in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus came and he has restored what he did not take away. And so these, these uh, men, these Amalekites, must have been terrified when they realised that someone was after them. Do you know what it says? Let's just read what it says here because it's quite amazing. It says... Uh, just down a little bit further, it says, so, so he led David to them, to them, and they found the Amalekites. This is verse 16 of First Samuel 30. They found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder that they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. So you've got to see that these Amalekites had not just taken from David and his men in Ziglag, but they'd been stealing from all over the place. They had a huge amount of spoil. They had been stealing from the Philistines and they were spread over this vast amount uh, this vast area and had a vast amount of plunder that they had taken from the Philistines. And it says in verse 17, David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night. Now listen to this. And the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. And David got back everything that the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. Now I want to stop there for a moment. I'd love you to get this picture. I'd love you to get the, the, the great miracle that this was because they fought 24 hours. If you look at your Bible, it says they started the fight on the eve of one night and they didn't finish at the same time the next day. They actually were fighting for 24 hours. And after fighting for 24 hours, 400 of the Amalekites fled. Now, listen, please listen to this. There was only 400 of David's men. After fighting for 24 hours, 400 of the Amalekites fled. What size was the Amalekite army? What? I mean, we can read that and not understand. This was a supernatural victory. This wasn't David going in, oh, launching on, you know, so many men that he won them. This was God fighting for David and with David. The odds were against David. The Amalekites outnumbered him. And 400 of these men, after 24 hours, 400, the same size as David's army, ran away and, and, and took off. But the rest of them were destroyed. Listen, David won the battle and it says he recovered everything, just as God had said he recovered all. There's some of you in here today and the enemy has stolen your peace. Maybe he's trying to steal your children. Maybe he's trying to bring situations into your life where you're going to lose out on life. You know, where, where, where he's trying to even steal your health or steal something else from you. You know what? He, he can worry you so much. He can steal your peace and cause so much worry it can bring you into health. And the enemy wants you to be anxious people. He wants you to be full of fear. The enemy wants to steal the joy of the Lord. One of the things I read the other day was how all the different offerings in the Old Testament, you know there was even one for the peace offering. Jesus died to give you peace. The shalom of God. God's peace is not what we think in this 
part of the world. The shalom means even prosperity and peace in every area. It means God's best for every part of our lives. That's what Jesus died to give us. But the enemy wants to steal that from you and he wants you to worry and he wants you to be full of anxiety and all the rest of it. We need to watch our time here. But David recovered everything. And here's the thing. After he recovered, it says on the way back, let's just look quickly at this in verse 21. They returned to the brook where they'd left the 200 men. Now, we're not going to read right through it, but when you get home, you read it and you'll see that when they got back to this brook and they found the 200 men that they'd left behind, the 200 who were too weak to cross. Do you know that David's men were ready to say, you know what, they didn't cross over with us, so they're not going to get any of the plunder. We'll, we'll keep it all for ourselves. They don't deserve it. They didn't fight for us. You know what David said? Let's just read what he says. I took it out of the message. Here's what David said. Families don't do this sort of thing. Oh, no, my brothers, you can't act in this way with what God has given us. God kept us safe. He handed over the raider, raiders who attacked us. The share of the one who stays with the gear or the supplies is the share of the one who fights. Equal shares, share and share alike. I'll tell you, that just puts, that just puts us all on the same footing, doesn't it? That just, that just deflates pride. Where one would say, we went and we fought and we didn't think. David says, no, uh, no, no, those ones that stayed behind looked after the stuff. They're gonna get exactly the same as you. It just brings everybody into a family. Uh, where everybody is treated with the same love and respect. It says David made that rule in Israel and it still is to this day. Do you know what? When we are blessed, we are blessed to be a blessing. Isn't that right? God blesses us so that we can bless others. And when David got back to Ziglag, do you know what he did? He started taking part of the plunder and he started making up packages and setting them all over the country. If you read through the last part of that chapter of 1 Samuel 30, you'll see that David started to send gifts from the plunder all over the place. Why? Because he wanted to show us the heart of God. David wanted to show God had a generous heart. He wanted to represent God by having a heart that was full of generosity. He said, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. You see, David displayed God's heart because when he did wrong, he turned for forgiveness. He confessed his sin, he got it out there and he got forgiveness. David showed the heart of the Lord when he, the way he treated others, a slave that was almost dead, that his, his, his master had abandoned him. He took him in. He showed the heart of God that was after you and me and lifts us up whenever, we're, whenever nobody else has any time for us. He showed the heart of God whenever he, 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 he went in and he fought for his people. God has fought for you. The Lord continues to fight for you in what he wants to do in your life. He showed the heart of God in blessing, in the blessings being shared. He showed the heart of God in sending these blessings all over the country to show how good, how good God was, how good God is. 100, Psalm 145, let me just look at it for one moment, where it just reminds us of the goodness of God. Verse 3, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. 
Here's what David said, I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. That's what David said about God. David's heart knew something of the goodness and generosity of God. And you know, the more that we begin to understand that, the quicker we will run to our God whenever we get into trouble. You know, we should not be standing back. If you're in a tight spot or something's causing you anxiety, run to God. Run to your great high priest. He's there to help you. What about Saul? What about his heart? Well, he was the opposite. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures in a minute, but here's the thing. Did you know that at the exact same time that David was sorting out the whole zigzag thing and going after these, the exact same time that he was having his personal crises, if you like, at that exact same time, Saul was also going through a difficult time. Remember, the Philistines thought David would fight for him. That's because their armies were getting in array. And at just this time, Saul realized that the Philistines were going to go to war with Israel. And it says that as soon as he saw, as soon as he saw the army and the strength of the Philistine army, that Saul's heart was absolutely petrified, I think, is the only way to describe it. If we looked at 1 Samuel 28, we would see something about that. It says, when Saul saw the vast Philistine army, 1 Samuel 28, verse 5, he became frantic with fear. Listen, if you don't have God on your side, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to make you frantic with fear. And Saul asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him either by dreams or by the Urim or the Thummim or by the prophets. Saul then said to his advisors, find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. Do you see the heart of Saul? Do you know why the Lord didn't answer him? Note he didn't answer him, he didn't give him a dream to answer him, or he didn't use the Urim or the Thummim. Do you know why the Lord didn't answer him? Because he had never repented. He had never confessed his sin. And I've given you some verses to look up there, and you'll see, you can read over the story, you'll see he was unrepentant. Do you know that he, had, he was asking the Lord for help? And he was the very one who had given the order to kill every priest in the land of Israel. Every priest, he said. He actually, if you remember the story, when his own men wouldn't go in and kill the priest, he actually ordered a, a, a foreigner to go and do it. And here he's asking God, and God doesn't answer because he's not repentant. And then he comes to this place of looking for a medium. Now, I've got to tell you this. Sometimes we laugh about the occult and we think oh, it's harmless and we treat it as if it was like looking up your stars in the, in the magazines. Listen, let me tell you that, that the occult is very real. Let me tell you that the enemy is a real enemy. Let me tell you that the word of God warns us about this kind of stuff. He was looking for a medium and I'll tell you, it's plaguing, it's plaguing this land, particularly in the Republic of Ireland and here as well. 
this idea of speaking to the dead or going to a medium to try and, and help you in some way, let me tell you that's going to the wrong that's going to the wrong place. And it's dangerous. And the word of God warns us that we are not to do that. And we're warned about it. In Leviticus 19, we are very, very clearly warned. And Saul would have known this. Saul knew he he knew the law and he knew and in fact he had already he had already got rid of all the mediums and the spiritists in the land and he should have known not to have anything to do with them but in leviticus 19 verse 31 here is what it says this is a word from god do not defile yourselves by turning to mediums or to those who consult the spirits of the dead i am the lord your god and so you know i always sort of take a moment if I'm trying to talk about some of this stuff because I, all, I know that usually there's somebody that has been to a fortune teller or been to some sort of stuff because a lot of the time when I was growing up there was no teaching on this but I want to tell you if there's been anything like that in your life just come and get a wee prayer or just con- bring it out in the open and confess get cleansing, fresh cleansing because the enemy will look for legal ground in your life and these things are very real and God warned his people not to have anything to do with mediums. What does Saul do in a, tight, in a tight spot? How does he show us his heart? When God doesn't give him an immediately a quick answer, he just turns. Even though he had put all the mediums out of the land in order to fulfill this Leviticus 19, the minute he needs one, it's like it's one law for the rest but one for me. Now I need one, get me a medium. And if you read on, you'll see he got some of his servants to find him what is referred to in some of the older translations as the witch or the medium of Endor. He went to this woman, and you can read the story yourselves, he went in disguise. Now here's the thing, I'm not going to read it now, but you read it when you get home. Can you imagine this medium, this witch if you like, and Saul's coming to her, and he wants to call up Samuel. The reason he's looking for a medium is because every God's not speaking to him, and the only one who did give him the word of the Lord was Samuel. Samuel's dead, so although Samuel's dead, he's going to try and contact him anyway. And so he's asking this medium to call up the spirit of Samuel. And here's the thing, when the woman, she was expecting, she started to do the usual stuff, whatever it is that they do, to call up the spirits of the dead. This woman was expecting a familiar spirit. That means an evil spirit. She was expecting one that she was familiar with to come up and to pretend to be Samuel. You see, there are people who go to try and speak to the dead, but they don't realize that they can't speak to the dead. The Lord's put a great barrier between. We can't speak to the dead, but an evil spirit will come up and pretend to be the person who is dead. So they're being deceived at every level. And so she was expecting this familiar spirit to rise up and pretend to be Samuel. And if you, if you read it, you'll see that she screamed, she shrieked. Why did she scream out? Because actually God had allowed Samuel. It was really Samuel. That's why she was petrified. She was terrified because it wasn't this usual familiar spirit. And so Samuel spoke to, to Saul and told him, yes, at the battle, it will take place tomorrow. And you will die tomorrow. Can you see how David turned to God in his moment of trial and distress and how Saul turned away from God at his moment of trial and distress? Let me tell you who you turn to in time of trouble says a whole lot about who you are 
And you have a God you can turn to in all kinds of trouble. We should never turn aside to anything or anyone else, only to Jesus, our Saviour, our Lord, and our great High Priest. And so this woman, this woman uh, had been used by Saul, and the next day Saul died. I just wanted to finish off with this. David had been home in Ziglag for two days. After the battle, after recovering everything, he's back in Ziglag with all his men, wives and all are there. And he's there for two days whenever he gets a message through that Saul and Jonathan and all of Israel have been defeated in battle and Saul and Jonathan are dead. You see, whilst David was having his personal moment, if you like, his moment, his own personal battle, if you like, God had been working for David behind the scenes. I want to tell you this, that usually at the time of your greatest distress is the very time that God's working for you behind the scenes. I have proved that time and time again. God's timing is perfect. David was home for two days and he heard, and you know, his heart was breaking because he loved, he loved his, he, he thought the world of Jonathan. And you know, despite all that Saul had done to hurt and torment him, he still had God's heart for Saul. He still loved the two of them and his heart was broken. And we haven't time to read it all. If you read the, the last chapter of 1 Samuel and then begin to read the first chapter of 2 Samuel, you will see the story there. And you'll see that, that, that David lamented for Saul as well as Jonathan. You'll see that, that he actually wrote a song a beautiful song about how mighty and wonderful Saul and Jonathan were. He wrote a song. I believe David was a man who was in touch with what was going on in his heart. We would say he was a man who was in touch with his emotions. And you know, as he wrote this song, I wondered, was he actually going through a process of working out the complex emotions in his own heart? You know how writing sometimes can be a real help? You know, I find whenever I'm in a bad place and I'm all agitated and I don't know what's going on, when I actually write to God and tell him what, what I'm feeling and tell him what's going on and bring it all out there, it's a really good thing to do. And I just wonder if he was writing to get all his emotions out there. That's a real good thing to do, ladies. And he wrote this poem or this song. And he wrote it and he, he, he gave the, the, the order that this song about, and we'll maybe look at it next week and read it next week, but... This song was to be put into Israel's national hymn book, Book of Joshua. And it was to be, it was to be learnt. It was to be called the Song of the Bow. We'll literally look a little bit at it next week. And, and it was to be taught to the children. Why? Because David wanted to honour Jonathan and Saul. He wanted to honour Saul as the king of Israel, the one that the Lord had chosen to be the first king. And he wanted everyone to remember Saul and Jonathan. Even in this particular situation, David was showing us God's heart. God's heart is to honour. God's heart is to lift others up. I want to read the last paragraph to you. Something to think and pray about. I want to read this to you and then we'll take a moment to see what God's been saying to each of us. God had seen that David was ready to rule the kingdom because David had been learning to rule his own heart. 
Romans 5 and 17 tells us that because of what Christ has done for us, we are to rule. We are not victims. We're to learn to rule in life. Are we learning to do this? Are we learning to rule our emotions? Are we learning to keep our heart in tune with God so that God can promote us into the next season of ruling with him? I believe God has things for every single one of you women, but there are lessons that he's teaching. He's lessons he's, he's teaching me about, about how to actually rule over these emotions, to bring them to God, to have a heart after God like David, so that he can trust us to bring us into the next season of what he has for us. Keeping a check on, asking God to examine our heart is a good thing to do. When we bring our negative emotions to God and are real about how we feel, God can continually wash us, cleanse us from guilt and shame so that we can have healthy emotions and live victoriously, freely and joyfully to the glory of God. You know what? Jesus was one of the happiest people. He, not one, he was the happiest person who ever lived. The Bible says he was anointed with the oil of joy, oil of gladness. And yet, Jesus was the, the one who suffered more than any human being ever suffered. Why was he able to be so full of joy whenever he had a life of so much suffering? Because you know what? He was sinless and spotless and he walked in communion with his father with never one moment of broken communion. That's why. Do you want a life that's full of joy? Do you want to know what it is to go through your suffering? Then keep bringing the stuff into the light. Keep getting cleansed of it. Keep getting forgiven. And learn by what God, how God. Learn to rule over that thing that has defeated you 1,000 times. Learn, because God wants to teach you to overcome, to step up and put the stuff under your feet. Satan is under your feet. Jesus has recovered all, that you can know victory in your life, that you can advance and not just be going forward and coming back and going forward and coming back. Jesus paid the price to recover all, that you can go forward and keep going forward in connection with heaven. And know what it is to have the joy of fellowship with God. This is amazing for us. This is the secret source of joy that God has wants every one of you to experience. It's what Jesus paid for. Yeah. And I believe that God's doing a work in every one of our hearts. And I'm declaring it over you. Right now, where are you in your journey? Right now, is God convicting you about any particular thing that he wants you to get the victory over? Where are you in this journey? We're going to take a moment or two. I'm going to give you a moment or two to have a word with the Lord. To ask him to show you what's going on in your heart. To give you a, a, a heart examination this morning. I'm going to ask God right now that you will have a few moments where you will just ask him to come in and deal with and, and show you what the next step is. Very often it's, it's just to go and get some prayer of agreement. Maybe it's something else. Let's just listen to what God wants to say to us this morning. Recently in church we've been just giving people space to do this. It's just a moment of kind of centering yourself and asking the Lord just to shine his light into your heart. Maybe God wants you just to review maybe the last week from last Tuesday from you were here. Just to take a moment to think about 
your life over the last week for the Lord just maybe to give him permission just to remind you of anything that might have grieved him just to see yourself over the last week anything that you need to bring to him I believe that God wants you to rejoice and thank him for the good things of the last week there might be just moments that come to you of things to give thanks for just to rejoice and thank him he's a God who loves us to rejoice with him and to thank him for his good gifts maybe just take a moment if there's something that you feel God has highlighted to you that you want to repent of that you would take this opportunity to tell him that you're sorry that you repent that you want to turn away just take this moment to do that before God the God who forgives. And maybe finally just we take a moment to resolve before God that we want to walk forward into the next part of our journey and leave that stuff behind us. This is a new day, a new opportunity. God wants you to leave the stuff in the past. He doesn't want you to carry it with you. He wants you to resolve that with God's help that you can walk forward you can leave the past behind you. It's a new day in Christ. He cleanses you completely. Lord, we just pray if there's anyone in here who has resolved, Lord, to step forward with you, perhaps to be their saviour for the first time. Lord, we pray that they will come up afterwards and talk to us. Lord, if there's anyone here who has resolved that they want to be able to rule over certain areas of their life, Lord, that they might come up, that we could pray for them, that we could stand with them. Lord, we're on this journey together. We're part of your body. You're, you're our head. We're your body. We pray that we might be able to encourage each other to be able to step forward into all that you have for us. And Lord, the things that have been lost along the way that you want to restore to us, you want to restore unto us, Lord, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. You want us to know what it is to live victoriously, freely, and joyfully to the glory of God. Father, we just thank you that you're able to meet our every need. We're going to stand and we're going to sing that song over again. Lord, I need you. How I need you. And then afterwards, we'll have prayer ministry for anyone who wants it. Thank you, Lord, we need you. And thank you that you're here for us today. In Jesus' name.